Hello, everybody. I'm Mark Harries, Chief Investment Officer at Square Mile. And in this month's Talking Research podcast, we're turning to the UK. I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Watts, Fund Manager of the UK Midcap Fund and Co-Head of Strategy at Jupiter Asset Management. Hugh Sargent, Fund Manager of the UK Recovery Fund and Head of Value and Recovery Strategies at River and Mercantile. And Simon Brazier, Fund Manager of the UK Alpha Fund and Co-Head of Quality at 91, as we discuss the prospects for the UK market, looking at the drivers for growth and investment opportunities as lockdown comes to an end. Firstly, Richard, what is the current mood of the market? Yeah, Mark, I would probably say nervously optimistic, I think is probably the best way to describe it. You know, I really feel that there's a continued belief that we are in a strong cyclical upswing, um, but there is a focus on inflationary pressures coming through in the economy, and that's the reason for nervousness. But I think the reality is the economic data has been very strong. That should be very encouraging for uh, the earnings outlook for you know, for companies uh, generally, but one A on inflationary pressures, you know, and how that impacts, um, you know, the outlook for the interest rate cycle and therefore valuation. So it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, but um, yeah, but I can say probably nervously optimistic, I think is the current move. And how bullish are you and why? I, I, I think for us, you know, look, we, we, are, we are bullish, I think, for a number of reasons. Uh, if we look at the UK mid-cap market, you know, it does tend to be well represented by economically sensitive companies. So, you know, those are the companies that will benefit from the strong economic data that we're seeing coming through. You know, in the main as well, I'd say those companies typically are, you know, COVID recovery names as well. So these were the companies that were, you know, pretty badly hit through a pandemic. So they will be at the vanguard of, you know, of that economic recovery. So they should be trading exceptionally well. So I, I think those are you know good reasons I think to to be optimistic in our part of the market. And then I think when we look at you know the valuation of um, of the UK equity market, you know it is cheap versus developed equity markets around the world. You know that reflects uh, issues around Brexit and the uncertainty around Brexit. But you know in our view we've moved beyond that. You know and unfortunately I think for the UK equity market we kind of move beyond uh, Brexit at a point in time when the news flow has been dominated by by the pandemic. And I think when things settle down, uh, I, I think people will realise that UK equities offer good value. Uh, and indeed, I think corporates recognise that, you know, the M&A activity that you've seen in the UK mid-cap index so far this year, um, I think has been the strongest since 2008. So it's been a very, very strong start for M&A. And I think that's kind of telling you that UK equities are cheap. Looking at your top three holdings, Boohoo, the Hutt Group and ASOS, you seem quite bullish over the longer term. But what are your thoughts about the short term risks, given society is reopening and, and there's less need for Internet shopping, uh, ESG related issues, those sort of things? Yeah, and I, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there, really. You know, short term, there's been a lot of focus on exactly how well will these businesses trade when economies re, you know, have been reopening. You know, retail sales data um, has been interesting, actually, because uh, in the UK, you know, retail sales are um, 10% higher than they, you know, than they were this time in 2019. So there's a lot of pent up demand, money is being spent, but that is benefiting all retailers, not just store based retailers. So the thing I think that is very striking uh, is the continued growth in online retail. So up against monstrous comparatives, you know, May last year, online sales growth was about 130% year on year. And online sales growth this year is about 10%. So obviously, you know, not, not quite 130, but it's 10% against 130. Uh, so if you look at the penetration of online sales, you know, pre-pandemic, it was about 20% of all sales 
were online, uh, that number seems to be settling down at around 30%. So there's definitely been a massive structure shift online, four to five years worth of growth condensed into, into one year. And when you actually look at the data, you know, online retailers seem to be growing in line uh, with the previous trend or the trend rate of growth that was in place before the pandemic. So I, th- I think for us, you know, market nervousness about how well these companies, these online retailers will be trading against those difficult comparators. But the evidence is telling you that they're actually trading pretty well. And that's really encouraging because the share prices have been under pressure. And I think as you start to get beyond May and you go into June and July and August, the comparators get easier. You know, they get about 30 points easier. So you might find that as we go through the rest of this year, uh, that sales growth for online retailers starts to reaccelerate. And if we are right, that reacceleration in sales growth should, you know, should board very well for the, you know, the share price performances of the likes of Boohoo, um, you know, ASOS and, uh, and TSG as well. So, yeah, I'd say the last few months has been tricky in terms of share price performance. You know, they're, they're not in favour at the moment as people are buying store-based retailers and restaurants. But fundamentally, we think they are growing strongly. Or, you know, online sales certainly grow very, very strongly. Uh, and then ultimately over time, you know, that, that that should be good for the share price performances of those businesses. And Richard, which sectors and types of companies beyond those that you've just mentioned do you feel offer the most interesting opportunities? Yeah, well, I, and I think for us, you know, I think the areas that we're trying to get more exposure to are, you know, these COVID recovery areas. So, um, you know, we've introduced exposure to um, some of the more store-based retailers. Uh, you know, the likes of Greggs is, uh, is a decent position in the portfolio. Dunelm as well um, is another stock that we've uh, that we added into the portfolio second half of last year, and it's quite interesting because even with those businesses, you know, mainly store based, but you know, seizing the opportunities, I suppose that the pandemic, uh, you know, as as meant that these businesses had to kind of adjust, uh, had to respond. And you think about Greg's, you know, thinking about um, tie up with Just Eat, for instance. And people ordering food online can that you know change the way that the business trades you know can it trade breakfast offering dinner offering just trade more aggressively through the day and that can radically change the economics of the business you know Dunelm as well you know the recent trading uh, update you know um, last week you know almost sixty percent year on year sales growth across all channels you know that's very very strong so again people are buying online people are returning to the store but still buying online so. Yeah, those core careers. Travel is another area for us. It's been less strong, you know, reflecting, I suppose, the fact that um, travel restrictions obviously are still in place. So going on your foreign holiday is still very difficult. But ultimately, if we are right, you know, and June the 21st is the end of lockdowns, you know, we should be looking into 2022 for a much more favourable backdrop for travel-related stocks. And as I said, you know, they've not really led the market higher this year. I mean, they've, they've been stagnating in fairness because of, I suppose the lack of immediate catalysts. But if we are right, you know, there's a lot of value in that part of the market. Names like Jet2, for instance, you know, Wizz Air. Uh, one of the bigger positions in the portfolio is uh, essential, where half the profits or half the revenues come from events, which obviously require international travel to go and attend these things. So, yeah, I would say the corporate recovery plays um, is an area that we've been looking to. And, um, and out, outside of that, industrials, you know, the industrial part of the market, industrial production globally is picking up very, very strongly. So, you know, engineering companies like IMI, that's a recent addition into the portfolio as well. Richard, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. I'm now delighted to introduce my second guest, Hugh Sargent. Hugh, given society is coming out of lockdown, where do you see the opportunity for growth in the UK markets? Thank, thanks, uh, Mark. Um, uh, let me keep the answer to this uh, question pretty simple. 
Do you think the fastest year-on-year growth will come from those parts of the economy that haven't been able to operate over the last year? And where, as a result, there is a you know huge amount of pent-up demand. If you look at a uh, proportion of, of workers that are still on furlough, this could give you you know a very good idea where the biggest growth will be. So arts, entertainment and recreation, they still have over 30% of their employees furloughed followed by hotels and and restaurants, then other services and and transportation. So eating out, travel, hotels, non-digital consumer spending, entertainment and international tourism, that's still off 75% from uh, the peak level. So these should all see the strongest growth in an opening up year for for the, the economy. And the team at River and Mercantile are quite optimistic about a strong recovery for the UK. Why the confidence? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, but I don't think we're alone in being optimistic about a strong UK economic recovery. For for example, the Bank of England have just upgraded their GDP forecast for the current year to 7%. Uh, 7%. That was from 5% back in, in February, so pretty significant upgrade. In recovery in, in the UK is, is supported by a, you know, a number of aspects. Let me just quickly run through those by strong fiscal support. So government spending, still very stimulative uh, interest rate uh, policy. So keeping interest rates really low. Uh, by the vaccine rollout, uh, allowing the reopening of the UK economy. By consumers sitting on a, you know, a really large amount of, of cash that they haven't been able to spend over the last year. And, and will certainly spend part of that over the next uh, next couple of years by banks being prepared uh, to lend and actually having the, the balance sheet because actually they've stayed very strong through this uh, period of economic dif- uh, difficulty uh, so they're prepared uh, prepared to lend by robust capital investment from both the, the public and, and private sector so the public side in particular with reference to the green agenda and then uh, there's a strong support from uh, you know the broader global uh, economic uh, recovery, and perhaps uh, last but but not least, uh, having Brexit you know now largely uh, behind us. So all those factors do make us really confident about you know the the, the short and medium term outlook for for the UK economy. Now we see the headlines on the stock prices of so-called value and growth companies being at a huge dispersion compared to history. Is this really the case once you exclude the few outliers and does this present an investment opportunity? And if so, how do you time such a decision? The data we use to look at valuation dispersion actually always strips out those very small number of outliers. I mean, what most uh, measures of dispersion look at is, is how cheap say the bottom 20 or 25 percent of, of the market is versus uh, you know the top uh, 20 or 25 percent of, of the market uh, and look at that versus uh, history so that takes into account you know a large number of stocks and, and essentially strips out that small number of uh, outlier impact what this you know clearly shows if you look at you know the, the long term relationship is that valuation dispersion last year hit the same extreme as as we saw you know in the TMT bubble it has narrowed a little bit uh, since then but remains very large and from our perspective you know strongly supports the case for value now uh, in addition value is supported by a number of other aspects in particular i think by strong business fundamentals from here because value stocks are geared plays on the economics and and profit recovery that we're 
right at, at the beginning of. And there are also much better uh, hedges on the increased inflationary pressures that we're currently witnessing with a number of value sectors actually beneficiaries of the bottoming out of, of inflation and, and interest rate uh, expectations. And Hugh, what areas are you seeing as most attractive? And given value has been out of favour for so long, how are you containing your excitement with so many cheap stocks? Uh, well, yeah, we, are, we are very excited, it's fair, fair to say. I mean, it's been a difficult last 10 years since the global financial crisis for, for value investors for various reasons, which we don't have time to go into today. But yeah, uh, we're excited about the return to, to, to value and do think it's very much early days. I mean, we like all the classic value and, and recovery plays across the, the UK market. Those that are the uh, you know, key beneficiaries of the reopening trade that we've already talked about, those that are lowly valued and starting to see you know profits uh, uh, recovery come through sharply. And then companies that are you know, beneficiaries of uh, interest rates uh, bottoming out. So let me just quickly walk you through a few examples, examples of stocks and sectors we particularly like would be no particular order banks such as Lloyd's, hotels uh, such as such as a Whitbread, restaurant operators, in particular, you know, restaurant group, the owner of the Wagamama franchise, uh, insurance stocks, especially those that are exposed to the unloved EM growth opportunity as we see it. So Prudential and Old Mutual, mining stocks, which are you know good inflation uh, hedges that would include the likes of Anglo-American and, and Fresnillo, retail recovery plays um, such as you know ASOS on, on the digital side and, and M&S, which we do think finally has a very credible uh, omni-channel offering. And then selective uh, property recovery plays, you know, classic to us would be Camp Capital and Counties, the, the owner of much of, of Covent Garden, a fantastic bit of uh, London real estate that hasn't seen many visitors over the last year, but will be, uh, will, uh, be back and, and be hugely popular again over the next, uh, next few years. So, yeah, uh, the opportunity set, we see it in those types of stocks, stocks are, are very exciting. Well, Hugh, uh, thank you for such fascinating insights and for joining us today. Thanks very much, Mark. And last, but by no means least, I'd like to introduce my final guest, Simon Brazier from 91. Simon, firstly, what do you see as the key drives of the UK stock market over the next few years? Well, clearly, the um, exiting from the pandemic is going to be very instrumental, and the timing of that in relation to many of the companies. And we hope don't we all, that the vaccines do the job and that we get back to more normalised life. And, you know, I've been saying for some time that the uh, market's been driven by uh, politicians and scientists for the first time in a long time, rather than economists and central bankers. And so I do, I do think that's obviously clearly important. But the other area, definitely in terms of the style within the market, is what's happening to interest rates. I mean, the, it, is, it is very uncertain as to whether we're going to see inflation in a more in a potentially rising interest rate environment, which is which has favoured some of the more value names, obviously, more recently, or, or some of the higher quality names have suffered, or actually, you, you look back at the sort of Trump reflation trade we saw back in 2016, where interest rates went up and then came back again, and, you know, and that, that whole uh, sort of style shift unwound. So I don't have a crystal ball. I mean, I personally think rates will be lower for longer, but that, that is a key, key driver of the market. You have a more cautious positioning. What is your rationale behind this? Simple valuation. Um, I, I don't think this time it's different and that you know, we look across the market and it is, you know, you know, we saw some great valuation opportunities in 
2020 as the market came off. But right now, um, the market is relatively fully valued. And you've got some wonderful companies that I would love to own that are on valuations that I find untenable. Um, and therefore, I always tell my clients I want to buy low and sell high. And right now, I feel I'm being forced to have to buy companies with relatively high valuations, which typically, history has told you, means that returns will be lower. So that is why I am more cautious, being honest. Simon, with a portfolio designed to minimise risk, what is your view on the security of overseas earnings in a post-Brexit environment, particularly with potential trading issues, etc.? As, as many know, I've been a, um, I've been somewhat nervous about the outcome of Brexit, and I, I think some of my fears have have been proven right. And it is clear that many companies are struggling. However, the big positive for the stock market is that it is that most of that stress is being felt by smaller businesses we're talking yeah which is which make up the bulk of the uk economy by the way these are businesses with sort of naught to 20 people in many of whom were trading across borders and the frictional costs of red tape and actually you know literally transportation and the like are proving very difficult the great thing for us is that most of our businesses are much larger than that by definition in the stock market and many of these are globally diversified businesses with supply chains right across Europe, across the world, and hence they've been able to manage much better. So it is, yes, there is friction there. For the economy, it is much more significant than for the stock market because of how that, how that is made up with the, with the impact of it on much smaller businesses, which you don't tend to find listed. And what sectors and companies offer the most exciting opportunities for future growth? Yeah, I think that the pandemic has accelerated so many, so many trends. And and I say to my team all the time, are there even companies that, and sectors that in two, three years' time will be in a better position because of the pandemic? That sounds a weird thing to say. And there are, I think. I mean, if you look at it's many of the sectors where maybe you know, supply is going to be constrained into that sector. So you take the you know, European airline sector, you know, the likes of Ryanair and EasyJet that I own. I think in, once we're back to a more normalised flight schedule, they won't have as much competition because many of their competitors have gone bust, you know, to fly B, et cetera. The national carriers have taken significant sums of money from their government, some in state, some will class it as Michael O'Leary will tell you illegal state aid. And you will not get you, and therefore you're going to see a better pricing environment with less capacity coming in. And they are two of the lowest cost air, you know, with WIRS, effectively the three low cost providers who will, who will solidify their position. I mean, another business would be Next. I mean, Next is, has been has been wonderfully run by Simon Wolfson, who's put in place, it turned that business into a you know, brilliant online platform prior to the pandemic, which is now really benefiting. I mean, other, other areas of technology, um, you know, putting the pandemic to one side, you know, we can still find businesses you know, like GB Group, like Essential in the UK, particularly Essential, you know, focused on you know, the growth in e-commerce, GB Group, fraud and identity verification, you know, really structural growth drivers from here. And finally, you know, actually global businesses. You know, we have some wonderful global businesses in the UK, you know, the likes of Experian that one can buy today. That is a relatively expensive business, but actually it's a world leader. So I would argue that in the UK market, I can still find areas of the market which, or even on a global basis, look quite attractive. Thank you, Simon, and thank you all for listening. We hope you found this episode of Talking Research useful and insightful. If you have any questions or would like to know more, please do not hesitate to get in touch with the Square Mile team. Thank you. This podcast was recorded on the 28th of May, 2021. 
It is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity and is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.